welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the ideas, events and policies that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard and I am Director of ECFR and I'm very happy to be joining you today for an exciting double podcast presented from Warsaw and from Berlin on the European consequences of the British referendum. First up, I'm going to be talking to Piotr Barras, who is the head of ECFR's office in Warsaw and a senior policy fellow at ECFR. And then I will talk to Anmut Meller, who is one of the co-directors of our office in Berlin and also a senior policy fellow at ECFR. So, Piotr, we have talked many times on this podcast about the British referendum, how it's going, who's up and who's down. But this is also obviously something which is being watched very closely from other European capitals. And uh, people are preparing for the eventuality of either a British vote to stay in or a British vote to leave. Sitting here in Warsaw, what do you think the main concerns are on the minds of policymakers? What are people most worried about in both scenarios? Maybe we start with the idea of a, a Brexit. I think in the Polish context, the most important thing is at the very political general level that uh, the current Polish government of law and justice declared the United Kingdom to be the main ally of Poland in the European Union. And this is a new development in Polish-European policy. We have never attached so much importance to the relationship with the UK. So for this government, uh, for the new Polish political elite, uh, Brexit would be a serious political challenge in ter terms of um, its European policy strategy. So you, they'd Poland, be worried to be that they'd be left alone with the Germany. That we would they don't be left. Like yes, much. this is <laughs> this is this is one of the um, concerns um, here in Warsaw uh, among the ruling elite that uh, the UK, which is seen as a, as an important partner, as a country which shares uh, some Polish security concerns, shares um, our. A perception of uh, Russia to a large extent. This is at least the the, um, the perspective uh, um, shared widely in the in the ruling elite in in Poland, um, but also a country which um, represented is probably most important thing a certain vision of Europe which is very close to the priorities and expectations um, of the Polish conservatives. So. To what extent are people also worried about the hundreds of thousands or the of Poles who are living in the UK? Uh, other economic consequences of of a Brexit? Yes, of course. This is this is a, um, the, the 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 second and more pragmatic aspect because on the one hand the the. Um, Future of those uh, poles living in in the UK uh, seem to be, in legal terms, uncertain. Uh, although, of course, nobody expects them to be expelled from 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 the UK in case of Brexit. But but still, uh, the the situation will be will be different than it is today, and uh, and um, and there are some problems involved in terms of social security, in terms of legal status, and so on. But also, 
these uh, these people uh, living and working uh, in the UK contribute to the Polish economy. They contribute to the Polish welfare. And um, there, is there any figure on the number of the not that I that could uh, give it to you right now, but but this is a quite a substantial uh, contribution, at least for for a number of families in Poland, and and of course um, um, the the emigration to the uh, to the UK eased the problem of unemployment in Poland. Uh, so of course uh, the the future of those Polish citizens um, is a is a key issue for for, for Poland in the case of Brexit. So what will the response of the Polish government be? Is it going to uh, have think about a Polish exit from the EU, a Pexit, or uh, or uh, could there be a referendum here as well? Um, will Poland ask for its own opt outs? I mean, what do you think? That's that's I, I think still an open question. I don't I don't think there is a clear scenario for for a Polish renegotiation of uh, the terms of relationship or for for pol exit or pexit, whatever we can call it. Um, certainly, there is no uh, wish, uh, neither in the Polish society nor in the government, to to leave the EU. But uh, the interesting thing, uh, which can uh, somehow materialize both in case of Brexit and in case of uh, Remain, uh, is uh, a certain attempt or a temptation of, of Poland to go the British way and try to um, get some opt-outs or renegotiate the, the terms of relationship in, in some uh, in, in some policy fields in some respects. So and where, where does Poland want extra opt-outs? That's, of course, uncertainly you, one can speculate that the energy policy or the climate, especially the climate policy, could be a, a, such a policy field. But I'm saying that against the background of some uh, statements made by Polish government officials that... They certainly don't like ever closer union. They, they don't like the ever closer union, and this is one thing, but they also even said several times in the... In the in the most recent uh, weeks, that uh, the Brexit deal is the way forward for Europe, that this is how Europe should be reformed, uh, and what could it mean? It it it, it means, to to my understanding, that other countries, uh, including Poland, could follow the, the British uh, British example and try to reform the European Union by extracting some concessions uh, from, uh, from the EU and from its institutions. So what about the question of the negotiations with the UK if there is a Brexit vote? Uh, it's quite likely that uh, some member states will want to make it clear there will be no special deal for Britain. You can have one of the off-the-peg deals. You could either get membership of the EEA, like Norway, with the same sort of obligations that Norway has of free movement, making a contribution to the EU budget. Or you can have a free trade agreement, like Canada, um, but where you won't get access to the single market. Uh, or you can just be a WTO member and get no, no special access. Um, however, it's quite likely that at least some 
people in the, the British government might try and get a special deal which is more configured to the EU. How helpful will Poland want to be to the UK in those circumstances? I think Poland will uh, try to make sure that in the first place that some fundamental interests of, of Poland are secured and these, are, these fundamental interests are the um, rights uh, of Poles living in the UK. This is the the um, uh, free single market, um, and and this is the a, a cohesion um, of the European Union in terms of financial issues, uh, including um, a substantial budget. And I think as long as these fundamental uh, interests of Poland are secured, Poland will be flexible uh, in terms of response to to to, uh, to the British expectations and how do you think Poland will react if there is for example a, an attempt by some of the eurozone countries to stop the perception of disintegration by maybe suggesting a big leap forward either with eurozone governance or uh, a leap forward in the defence and foreign policy sphere of greater integration to make up for the for the Brexit. Do you think Poland will want to join that, or do you think Poland? No, Poland will not. Will join try and organise a, 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 a resistance within the EU, maybe getting the other Visegrad countries and Nordic countries to block it. Poland will try to prevent this from happening, uh, but in case it's not possible, I don't see Poland joining the eurozone and and uh, trying to. Um, to be part of this process. It's rather this idea of a multipolar union. Of course, th this can work only if, if the UK remains in, in, in the European Union. And, uh, yeah, what I'm talking about is what happens yeah, if they leave. If they, if they leave. Uh, probably po Poland will, will try to uh, form an alliance of of countries, a Eurosceptic alliance, uh, countries which are not uh, going to join this, you know, avant-garde. So, final question: If Britain chooses to stay, what do you think David Cameron uh, could do as a way of restarting Britain's engagement with Europe and to to add some kind of value to it? What would people in Warsaw like to see? A British Prime Minister of a Britain that has decided to stay in the club do if he comes to Brussels or to Warsaw after the vote? Yeah, I think uh, a message which uh, could be expected from the British uh, Prime Minister uh, would be basically about the cohesion of the of the European Union about uh, the mm, prevention of uh, those integration projects within the European Union which could uh, pose a risk for the countries which are not likely to participate in these projects because this is the the, the main worry in Poland that um, there is no other way for the countries like Poland and, and other Central European, Central Eastern European member states, uh, than to follow the lead of uh, of Germany and and more pro-integrationist camp, 
uh, forming uh, along with the Eurozone uh, another center of Europe or another caucus uh, around the migration asylum policy, for example. And that's that there is a and, and Cameron and the UK are seen as guarantors of a Europe uh, which can be much more flexible and can, which can offer some uh, uh, options for countries which do not subscribe to this integrationist uh, trend. And of course, if Cameron st in the UK stays uh, in, the U in, uh, in, in, in the EU, uh, this vision of a multipolar union uh, can materialize. If not, then we, uh, the, the current government in Poland has a real problem. So the message from uh, from Warsaw is that uh, this blessing which the British people deliver to the European project is a blessing for for greater Euroscepticism. Yeah, I mean <laughs> this is a blessing for for a different for a different kind of Europe. Okay, uh, and and I think this is this is the way of thinking in 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 the ruling elite, not necessarily in the whole society in Poland. Great, thank you very much, Piotr. That's fascinating. So, uh, Almut. You have been looking at not just how Germany's thinking about life after a Brexit, but you've also got a lot of people from all over Europe to Berlin to talk about it with you. And uh, we've just been discussing these topics with them. What do you think the German elite is most worried about? The German elite here is worried most about the overall um, state of the union and um, the fact that uh, United Kingdom sort of announcing to leave the Union to the vote later this uh, month will mean that, well, really you can't control the centrifugal forces that are in place already and that other countries might sort of um, copycat and uh, think about similar activities. And this is really the lens through which Berlin looks at the UK referendum. That is, is the Union going to survive this, this at large? So the number one thing is political contagion. What about other kind of issues like the economic impact on Germany, the fate of German nationals in the UK, the the fact that this could put Germany in the front line on a lot of different topics? Where where do those things rank? Well, very clearly, I mean, there are worries economically. Um, there is the question as to how the markets are going to react, which Germany is, is sort of, of course, concerned about. Um, in a in a different sort of angle, um, the question is what? How are the financial markets in in sort of uh, specifically in London going to react? How does that play out in the days after? Um, where are they moving? <laughs> sort of what is what is the what are the scenarios? Um, these things are considered uh, rather unpredictable here, but with possibly a a big shock that needs to be digested and anything that is turmoil in this field, of course, is uh, something that uh, clearly worries people here um, with a union that at large, even in its economic dimension, has not done a great deal of performance and has seen uh, shocks over the past years quite a bit. So um, the, then, of course, the, the worry is about the immediate um, aftermath, um, sort of, you know, how, how to respond um, politically to a vote that means uh, Brexit in sort of medium to longer term. Um, what we need to send a signal that is about um, pulling the union together rather than letting it disintegrate. Um, this is some, something that creates quite a bit of head scratching here in, in Berlin. But then ultimately, <laughs> I mean, the, 
the situation in the aftermath of the referendum is looked at with um, concern if, if Berlin here tries to understand the domestics that are starting um, to play out in London. And it's not always very difficult, not very easy to understand um, what scenarios are. Um, and I understand it is indeed, I mean, quite possible that the situation is not very clear, even after an, an outvote um, with Parliament in, in Westminster not having a clear uh, stance that would be directing towards a Brexit as well. So um, the question here in, in Berlin is, are we hitting a period in which it is actually really unclear whether London is going to trigger Article 50 and start the withdrawal procedure, which is really what uh, Berlin is expecting, um, anything that is um, less than that or that is sort of uh, a modeling through or whatever, it does not resonate here. Um, the stance is there is a clear procedure if the vote is a negative vote. Um, we have to look at the Article 50 procedure. That's the way out. And, of course, um, that is the only thing um, that is clear, really. And for those of uh, our listeners, probably not very many of them who are not familiar with the details of the Treaty on European Union, what is Article 50. The treaty now has the possibility formally for a member state to leave the European Union and it tells the um, basic procedures as to how that can work. Um, it has to be asked for by a member state, so there needs to be a formal submission of this request, which is then triggering a, a process that um, can last up to two years in which a new settlement can be found, and that is being negotiated led by uh, the European Commission, and it, that means that um, the EU member states um, that are still a member of the Union in the future, the 27, can um, sort of take the lead in these no negotiations jointly with the Commission and the uh, United Kingdom. So um, if there is a settlement to be found within these two years, then that's the ideal, in a way, not ideal, but um, somewhat better outcome um, than what some people are fearing, and that is uh, that it will be difficult within those two years to uh, negotiate a final status and to find an agreement between the 27 and the United Kingdom um, that would bring about a final sort of settlement in, in, in another treaty. Um, so it might just sort of uh, frizzle out and, and lead to a dissatisfaction on probably both sides. So the process as such is considered um, slightly messy, and that is, of course, creating a great deal of concern here in Berlin um, because it'll require a great deal of um, attention, um, care, navigating, negotiations on various levels. Um, it will take time, it will take resources, and it'll keep Berlin away from lots of other important things um, the government will want to do in the EU. And one of the uh, interesting things about Article 50 is this two-year ticking time bomb. At the end of the two years, if, if uh, the two sides don't agree to extend it, then the UK simply w would get WTO uh, membership and would lose all of its privileges. Um, third country. Yeah, it becomes a third country in a way. Um, one of the other interesting questions is, is um, whether and how the new deal gets resolved because there are two elements to it one element my understanding is is about how you leave the current eu and that's something which the commission would negotiate with the uk and which would then just have to be passed by the european parliament um but the uh and uh, the other element coming up with a new deal if if Britain was joining the European Economic Area or had uh, a, a, a kind of free trade deal, that would have to be ratified 
by all the national parliaments in all the different member states, which could also even trigger a referendum in some countries, like in the Netherlands. Exactly. It's a, it's a um, procedure that has quite a few um, possible traps to run into. I think the most interesting piece and most detailed piece I've written so far about this is uh, by Jean-Claude Piris. Uh, I think it's a paper um, published last year available on the web um, in which the steps are really very detailed. And, of course, one of the architects of the treaty structure um, uh, should know. So I think that will be worth looking at for those who want to dig deeper into this. So what about the future shape of Europe? How does Germany um, reassure people that the EU is not falling apart? I mean, there was talk at some point of uh, France and Germany coming together with a great leap forward on the 24th of, of, uh, of June. Uh, do you think that's likely to happen? Well, I mean, in a way, for Germans, there has always been the reflex. If really the situation is very difficult, the country um, you rely on is, is your partners in, in Paris and vice versa. Of course, that's no longer very easy. We know about the asymmetry of um, the Franco-German axis and its overall clout within the Union has shrunk. Um, so I think there is a certain sort of realization of that. And I don't think there will be a strong um, Franco-German, um, let's save the Union push. Um, I think... Uh, Nevertheless, we might see a joint um, statement, possibly also by other countries, that says, well, for us, um, the commitment is, is firm. Um, this union is for us, has been for us, remain, remains for us. Um, we regret that the United Kingdom is leaving, but this does not create any doubts about our European orientation. So I believe Germany will be in the camp of those countries who will be very, very clear on that um, and hope that its, its weight and its aura of being a gatekeeper of Europeanness will be strong enough to, um, to bring others in on this. Um, because clearly, I mean, for Berlin, it, this triggers just the wrong, uh, the wrong buttons, uh, a UK exit or the announcement of, of an exit in, in a couple of years. And um, Berlin will try whatever its uh, ability is to disperse these doubts so I believe there will be a strong statement in favour of union membership and um, placing the future of the Germans into, into this union. And whoever is joining that, I think, will be welcome with open arms in Berlin. But we know that it's uh, not easy at all. Even within the founding member states coalition, we have countries that are not longer so easily to be brought in onto the future of um, the integration path. So what do you think could be in an integration package? I mean, where do people agree on? Is it going to be about compensating for Britain leaving, uh, looking at things that Britain's blocked, or is it going to be working out how the Eurozone or Schengen can work together more effectively? You know, I think um, I've, I've never really understood why, you know, we need a package then. I think the agenda is very clear, um, which is why people here find it so annoying that there is, again, lots of noise from the UK um, because you'll find people saying, well, it's, it's, of course we know we need to reform the Eurozone. It's not working. So that's what we're doing. And there is a five presidents report still on the table, and we haven't really even started implementing initial stages um, on the future of the Eurozone governance. So, yes, let's do it. Let's embrace it even more. Um, European security is another area. I mean, there's so much talk about the Germans favoring a European army. I don't understand that. Um, that at all, it's, it's, it's really overemphasized in, in the uh, British debate. Uh, the Germans are just sending different signals at the moment that mean we stay firm to the European Union as the umbrella organization. But of course, I mean, no doubt Berlin needs um, others to help 
Europeans be be safe. Um, that's what everybody um, is discussing at the moment: internal security, external security. Again, I mean, this is very much on the agenda. This is happening as part of um, things that you know the European Union can contribute, but largely NATO can contribute to. Um, so you know, we should not really uh, expect uh, uh, any greater push. The agenda is quite clear. Nobody in Berlin wanted the British agenda to be on the table of the EU28. It's there now, and if it's sorted, then people will be quite relieved either way to be hopefully able to return to the business that is, is desperate and difficult enough. So so the, um, there might be some kind of specific uh, steps forward around sort of creating an operational headquarters for, for the EU um, and... Uh, maybe some measures on internal security as well. Is that the kind of thing? That I'm uh, you know, I, I don't think so necessarily as a response to a an announcement of a British uh, withdrawal. And um, why should that be the case? And I mean, you know, it, it's not about then demarcating the rest of the union from the UK or just demonstrating the union is still working. Um, that is happen on a da- happening on a daily basis. So um, uh, at least the attempts to make it uh, work better or make it look. Uh, work better. Um, I, I'm, I don't buy uh, yet into into this suggestion that we'll see that straight after British vote. We might see that a little bit over time um, that there is uh, a renewed push in certain areas. But let's again not overemphasize um, the headquarters question, for instance, which I mean, ultimately, um, it, it's about delivering. It's about uh, substance. It's about action. And in a way, that is how the German debate has really quite changed over the past years. Um, often the German um, satisfaction was in getting treaties right and sort of organizing procedures and creating institutions. The German position has changed. It's about substance. It's about delivering. Um, it's so about very British pragmatic delivery rather than institutions. And how how much is that also going to determine how the response is done? I mean, is Berlin worried that if it did come forward with a very strong integrationist agenda with France, that there could be an immediate backlash from countries like Poland and Hungary and the Netherlands and Denmark? I think Berlin is very realistic um, um, between uh, in, in cooperation with Paris that you know where, where can we expect a major push? I mean, the, in, in economic and monetary union, the disagreements prevail. Um, in security, it's clear what needs doing, and it is happening um, in, uh, in an increasing way with German support around uh, Europe's neighborhood. Um, of course, yes, you can talk about structures here and there, but um, it's, it's, again, it's, it's more about getting things done with all the instruments we have than just trying to uh, win a beauty contest over neatly tailored institutions as a response to a British exit. Um, um, the German idea used to be about uh, treaties, like I said, and institutions. Now it's about delivering. And ironically, this is when the Germans and others are losing the Brits, which is uh, probably a strange thing. Um, in the history of the of the union, while the rest of the union has perhaps become a bit more British. And what about the immediate short term? How do you think Germany will try and handle their negotiations with Britain? Because on the one hand, there is a fear of contagion. So some people are saying that means that uh, the rest of the EU should take a very hard line, refuse to create special arrangements for the for the UK. At the same time, there are a lot of member states that are maybe sympathetic to the British plight or very exposed to the British economy that might 
be wanting to go the extra mile? Where does Germany fit in that? It's going to be a fine line. Obviously, Berlin is amongst the countries that is terrified about the United Kingdom leaving and for very good reasons. So I don't think there will be an, a strong urge to make life even more difficult after that. I think there will be um, an attempt to accommodate um, a relationship that would allow for good cooperation with any future British government. Um, but then, of course, like you say, I mean, not to encourage others to think by basically this is a shop in which you can just go and pick whatever you want from the shelf. Um, it'll be, it's going to be a fine line. And um, Berlin is going to carefully ponder over, over this at the moment. And do, But do you think, because one of the big questions is whether Britain's going to be forced to take one of the off-the-peg models for a post-EU future, you know, which would be either WTO membership or joining the European Economic Area in the same way that... Um, that Norway did on the same terms or having a free trade agreement, uh, but that there should be no fourth option. Uh, whereas some people in the British elite think that you should be able to negotiate a special British plan. Where, where does Germany stand on that? I don't think Germany will have um, very specific ideas about this as of yet or announce this, but I don't think there will be an appetite to give any sort of punishment. Um, this is this is not an emotional thing, even though one gets the impression here in following the British debate that it very much is. Um, it's, again, one of, of pragmatism. A settlement will have to be found and Berlin will not be on the hardlining side. That is my prediction. And in terms of the long-term future of Europe, how do you think... Uh, how much thought is there about that, you know, where Britain might fit in? Because you have other countries like Turkey that are unlikely to join the European Union uh, very soon. But there is also the need to to get more unity amongst the Eurozone, amongst Schengen countries to deal with the kind of imminent crises. What does the kind of multi-tiered Europe uh, look like from Berlin? Interestingly, about um, 10 years ago, or perhaps even less, Nobody really wanted to talk in government circles about these multiple speeds and flexible integration and all of that. And whenever you came up with ideas, that was sort of politically not wanted. Um, it has become not formally endorsed, but a very much pragmatic way, again, of uh, seeing this is the reality of the union. And I believe um, some thinking will be going on uh, where sort of the opportunities of such different speeds are. If any future UK government was engaging in that with a constructive approach to say, um, we want to find a good way to make a deepened Eurozone work with the needs that we have as perhaps a member of the single market. And uh, if, if there was some thinking uh, jointly on this in a strategic perspective, that I believe would be more than welcome here because there is, again, the acknowledgement, the union is no longer the one uh, that it was 10 years ago. It has various speeds. It has various centrifugal forces. It's eminently political. It's a lot less about treaties. It's messy. It's not neat, which Germans usually don't like. And it um, struggles with, with its uh, overall big story at the moment. So um, acknowledging in a way that it's messy, uh, let's try and move forward. And I believe that will also include some pragmatic thinking on how to make this umbrella still work with various um, ways of being a member of, well, uh, we still call it the European Union, but it might look even, even different after, after a Brexit. So that brings to an end uh, absolutely fascinating discussion. If you've uh, enjoyed the podcast, please do tweet about it, post it on your Facebook page, write about it on ECFR's Facebook page, 
or um, give us a, a rating or a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Mixcloud, or whatever platform it is that you're using to, to download this. But we have one thing left to do on this podcast, which is the, the bookshelf segment. So, Piotro, what's on your bookshelf at the moment? On my bookshelf is a fascinating book by German historian Philip Blom, uh, the Jahre, the, the years torn apart about Europe and the West in the 20s and in the 30s. Um, a fascinating read and uh, something which I recommend for anybody interested in the fate of the West today and uh, in the times where um, the West was also facing a very, uh, very challenging times. Wow, that sounds fantastic. What's on your bookshelf at the moment? On my bookshelf is actually two books that don't have anything um, to do with foreign policy and that I was looking into for a debate that I chaired yesterday at the um, Berlin uh, Academy of the Arts on the notion of Heimat in the 21st century, um, of uh, la patrie, of home. And uh, two authors who were present were Theresia Mora, a German-Hungarian writer, and Gila Lustiger, a German uh, lady who emigrated um, to live in France and has done so for uh, decades, I believe now. And um, I bought a couple of their books to sort of dig deeper into their thinking, into their biographies, and into the way um, they look at, at their past and what, how that relates to the way I look at the Union at the moment with all the populist forces that we see coming up. And um, I haven't even started to touch, uh, touch them, um, but this is very much the plan for the weekend. And on my bookshelf, is not really a book, but on my way uh, to Poland and fr- back from Germany, I started watching this fantastic uh, TV series called Deutschland 83 about uh, Germany in 1983, which is a sort of, uh, it's a spy story which brought back to life all of the drama, the excitement of the, of the Cold War and... Um, I think in a way provides a really interesting backdrop to all these discussions about the future shape of Europe, because this was obviously at a time when Europe was far from being whole and far from being free. And when the stakes on the one hand were immeasurably higher and, and it does make the debate about British membership of the EU seem very trivial compared to all these discussions about nuclear holocausts and Pershing missiles. But that brings this podcast to an end. Um, we are putting links up to all of the different books and videos which have been mentioned by our speakers earlier on, as well as to some of ECFR's publications on uh, Britain in Europe. We have a regular Britain in Europe monitor and uh, have got a series of views from the capitals about some of these issues as well. We all wait to see what happens on the 23rd of June and will no doubt return to this topic on the 24th or afterwards. But in the meantime, with thanks from Piotr Barras, Almut Muller, and myself, Mark Leonard, it's goodbye. And the editor of our podcast is Katarina Botella-Tinaro and our researcher is Ulrika Franke. Thank you.